stargazers. This is Seventh House Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek. For those of you who are just joining me, well, first and foremost, welcome. I'm glad to have you listening to my podcast. I'm glad that you found me. What I do with Seventh House Astrology is that I take either a particular aspect, a planet, or as what we'll be doing for this week, a particular topic. The topics and the planets as well as the houses always revolve around a romantic bent. And the reason for why is that I explore everything using Sinistry Astrology. Sinistry Astrology is also known as Relationship Astrology. And also if you are familiar with composite charts, that's kind of synonymous and kind of um, is part of Sinistry Astrology. But I kind of explore these aspects um, as to what they mean in Sinistry Astrology. And then I try my best to answer what makes relationships tick or also what we have learned when it comes to relationships and like little takeaways when it comes down to the end of the episode. For those of you who are continuing to join me, welcome still. I'm glad that you're back and I'm glad that my podcast is giving enough information as well as entertainment for you guys. So before I get into this week's episode, I just want to mention two things. The first being is that I have set up a Patreon account. Yes, it's been an exciting week thus far. So in order to follow me with my Patreon account, it is at, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology. And when you do become a member, I am agreeing to actually give you a free Sinistry chart reading. What I just ask is that you sign up on astro.com, plug in not only your information for your natal chart, but also your partner's information for their natal chart. And then just uh, go ahead and email those two charts to me, and then I'll be able to pull up the synastry or the composite chart for you. And what I'll do is I will uh, compile a booklet and send that off to you. So um, this is definitely a great opportunity uh, if you certainly do want to become a member. And like I said, that chart will be absolutely free. Just join on Patreon and uh, definitely would be happy to, to see you guys there as well. The second, of course, is as promised, since this particular planet went into retrograde, I want to give a Venus retrograde update for this last month. Now, um, to give a little bit of background, Venus went in retrograde as of December the 19th of 2021, and she will remain so until January the 29th, so the 29th of this month of 2022. So we're kind of in a long transit here when it comes to Venus retrograde, but the good news in what has to be about maybe the third, fourth week of Venus retrograde, I really haven't had any issues. I really haven't had any problems, you know, especially socially wise and relationships wise. I think the only thing that was really a blip off of my radar was that um, relationships wise, I just got into a little tiff with my mom this last week. But I mean, compared to when Venus was in retrograde outside of Gemini in 2020, 
I mean, in 2020, I, I remembered when Venus went into retrograde as of in May of that year, I had a lot of different interesting situations. Like um, there are people who are trying to start a fight. And of course, this was in the midst of COVID. You know, there were a lot of people who accused me of being racist for staying six feet away from them. There are a lot of people who accused me of being something else or something um, way out of this world for wearing a mask and, or wearing a, uh, for the time being, um, this was like uh, May. So I think we're just starting to get into the cloth mask mandate. But um, I remember there are a lot of people who accused me of something else for wearing a mask. And, you know, there's just a lot of upsets socially. And a lot of people are just being flat out verbally rude socially. I mean, compared to that situation where we are, like I said, not only in the midst of COVID, but also right in the midst of just a lot of different political movements. I mean, 2020 was very, you know, Venus retrograde of 2020 was very chaotic. So to have a little tiff with somebody, I'll take that any day of the week compared to the other situations that have resulted with Venus retrograde in past years. Now, of course, I'm crossing my fingers and hope and hoping that socially and also relationship-wise, I continue to not have issues. Um, it does help that Venus retrograde is, of course, trined my natal Venus, which is in Virgo, and Venus retrograde currently is outside Capricorn. The other thing I've just kind of noticed is that with Capricorn, um, Capricorn's patient, methodical, and very diligent and dedicated energy is actually blunting the effects of Venus retrograde. She has actually slid away from being in conjunction with Pluto, which is equally good um, whenever I see any planetary alignment, especially if it's in retrograde and it's near Pluto. Oh, it's... It makes me worry. That's that's for sure. But it seems just like as with Pluto, um, the energy is being blunted and it's being softened a little bit. So um, that's always the good news of it. The only downturn of Venus retrograde this week was that I decided to change my hair color. I decided to tint it back to brunette. And uh, let's just say I should have waited a little bit. Um, it is brunette, definitely. I think I was a little over eager on violet shots. Um, so I used to be a barber, a uh, licensed barber. So I used Paul Mitchell hair color, basically level five brunette, which is already pretty dark. I put in some violet shots, which helps to deepen the color. I think I was a little over eager because it turned out near black for me. So that was definitely a change to get used to. But within uh, shampooing it for the first time this morning, it's starting to lighten up and also the blonde is starting to show through. So some, some bits of hope are starting to come about with my hair. But I think the biggest lesson here when it comes to Venus retrograde and any sort of beauty endeavors, don't do it. Yeah, just don't don't take my cue. Just don't do it. Uh, just just wait until Venus is either in shadow or better yet goes into direct. And, you know, use that time, you know, whether it is changing your hair color like with me, 
whether it's getting Botox. I know that there are ladies who do that. Um, whether it is going for a major makeover in any way, shape, or form. I would just say take this time with Venus Retrograde to kind of halt back. Maybe do some research on the area in which you would like to make over. Maybe do some extra research into the hair color. If you are somebody who's looking into plastic surgery, such as Botox fillers, Juvederm, uh, you know, just take this time to really research that a little bit more. If you're looking at a new makeup style, you're probably going to feel like you're in a fog when it comes to looking for that, or you're going to try a lot of things and nothing's going to work. So again, uh, research, um, do some research on YouTube, do some research around the internet and see what really works out for you. And maybe try that new thing. Like I said, when Venus goes uh, direct and I know it's it, the 29th seems like a long way away um, from now, but it really isn't. It's kind of around the corner. Uh, it's about two weeks out. So, you know, kind of use that two weeks to just kind of reflect. If you are somebody who kind of feels like, gee, Sandra, I'm one who's really suffering from Venus retrograde right now, and I'm not having such a great time with it myself. And it, you know, again, what I would just say is it always, you know, whatever retrograde planet, whatever house it happens to be in, Sometimes it can agree with where your natal uh, planet of that same, the same planet can be or where it is. So like say that you have Venus in Gemini and obviously Venus retrograde is in Capricorn. That's obviously not a good, that's a little bit of a harder time than if Venus should be in either an earth or water sign. But uh, if you are having a hard time, the good news about this is, so kind of like what I had to learn in 2020, is that this is a good time to just kind of go within and really take a look at what are the issues of the day. You know, like in 2020, my biggest issue was how rude people were being, like flat out rude. And it made sense that Venus retrograde was not treating me too well at that time because, like I said, Venus being in Virgo for me and Venus retrograde at that time was outside of Gemini. Again, those are two signs that don't get along. Um, they're very, you know, they're very different. But uh, one thing I had to learn when it came to just the rudeness and how much I did, I disagreed thoroughly with just how everybody was just kind of having verbal diarrhea and saying whatever was coming out of their mouth. I had to confront that inwardly and I just had to say to myself, it's like, look, um, everybody, I don't, I appreciate, I don't appreciate everybody being very rude to me right now. However, circumstances being as they are, I can't really control that and they are what they are. And that was a great time for me to look inward and see like how I could develop patience, especially when it came to just overt disrespect and rudeness. And uh, I let I had to say I learned quite a bit in that time frame. But again, a retrograde period is always awesome to just kind of look within, see what the issue is, and try to see if there are things that can be done to resolve it. You know, sometimes it could be 
an issue with self-esteem. Sometimes it just could be an issue with other people. Other times it just could be an issue. If you're in a relationship, it could be an issue of something that's been swept under the rug that's really coming up to the surface. And like I said, just investigate that more, whether it's with a therapist or on your own too. I noticed in trying to develop my own patients, I had to look at a number of resources and really kind of consult within to see if I had my own resources and own fixes to the problem. But it was definitely worth it because uh, the rest of Venus Retrograde into Venus Direct, I became very patient, very tolerant. And, you know, I wasn't flying right off the handle whenever somebody wanted to say whatever it is they wanted to say about me, which was usually very unpleasant in and of itself. So definitely utilize this time to do some inner work. This week's topic is a little bit different than what the other topics were in previous weeks. So as usual, we're diving into a relationship topic for this week. But again, my approach to it has been a little bit different. I know um, in compiling my notes, it was kind of haphazard and kind of scattered. But the topic of this week, I feel, is really very pertinent to me because I've not only have been accused of this, but also I went through this just recently and I decided it would be really great to just kind of die, a little, you know, go into more of a deeper dive into it. And that is the whole notion of idealism and what it looks like in Sinistry astrology. Now, my current situation or my recent situation with idealism was when I was working um, at Camp Christmas, I actually had a coworker who not only, I mean, it was really nice that he was flirting with me and was very flattering up to a point. I just remembered there were certain conversations that we had where it was pretty apparent that he was putting his ideals as to what the perfect woman was onto me. And while that usually sounds like it's, it's really good or like it's a really good situation to be within, unfortunately, I have to say the reality, you know, whereas in fantasy, it sounds like it, it's great to be idealized and put on a pedestal. In reality, it's actually not so great. And I felt like I really wasn't seen for who I really am. And also on top of that, it's like this guy refused to see me for who I really am, which can cause some very major structural damages when it comes to a relationship. Now, I know there are some individuals who love that. You know, it's like, hey, keep the, the visage, keep the, the illusion going. But I think many people would agree with me when you're not recognized for who you truly are. And your real personality starts to come out. It, like I said, it can really, can really cause some deep structural issues, both within the individual as well as the relationship. I know I have also been accused in past relationships and actually looking back on them. And when diving into this topic, I am, I, I can easily say that I've been equally guilty of idealizing a lot of guys in relationships with just again, taking a, perceived notion of what the perfect man is and just slapping it on a guy who I like. And 
again, unfortunately, it led to a lot of disappointment in the long term. So before we get into what idealism looks like in Sinistry Astrology, I always like to start off with a definition because sometimes with Sinistry Astrology and also just the whole of astrology, so many planets and so many houses can really rule one thing that it, it can be really hard to pinpoint from the get-go. But my working definition of idealism is someone who is projecting all romantic dreams and expectations onto their beloved. And again, I feel like we all come to this point here. You know, I know I tend to project all of my romantic dreams and expectations when I have a crush on somebody. And I have known other people who do the same. And, you know, it, even though it is a subconscious act, it actually can really help in kind of narrowing down what we're looking for when it comes to a relationship. You know, for myself, I know I would like to have a gentleman in my life or somebody who can come close. I know for other people, it could be, you know, obviously sex could be very important in the equation as well as someone who's very virtuous and someone who's very chaste can also be a part of the equation as well. So we kind of get to know like what we want to search for with our idealisms. The only time in which I feel that idealisms become a problem is when we just, we're just basing the whole relationships, uh, relationship on them or looking for relationships based off solely of our ideals. So, for example, if we're looking for a relationship where only gentlemen can come into my life or where only guys who act like Mr. Darcy and Mr. Knightley and Sir Lancelot can only come into my life, that can be a bit of a problem because, again, your ideals are very high expectations that not everybody can meet. And that, that's something that really we have to keep in mind the other uh, sort of idealism that I have seen and that I have also faced is being in a relationship but just looking at your partner as though they're your ideal instead of looking at them for who they truly are. That also leads to a lot of damage. I think I'd mentioned earlier, it leads to a lot of structural issues in the regard that, well, first off, you're not accepting somebody for who they are. So already that leads to identity issues for the beloved, and that can also lead to a lot of disappointment issues for the idealist. But the second thing is, you know, someone's not feeling very heard or someone is just really basing everything off of fantasies. Again, a lot of disappointment ends up in the act of it. And a lot of heartbreak ends up in the act of it. The heartbreak for the person who's being idealized can usually occur with, gee, you just, you don't really value me. It doesn't matter what I have to say. It doesn't matter what the real me has to say. You're just living off of this fantasy of what I should be. And of course, the idealist ends up having his or her heart broken because the ideal didn't meet up to their expectations or the ideal wasn't brought forth in the relationship. 
So either way, it's it's not a really great situation when it just becomes the only thing that's a part of a relationship. Now, when we uh, talk about projecting all your romantic dreams and ideals, most of these ideals, as I'd mentioned earlier, are things that develop in young adulthood. So when we have a crush on somebody, also when we're starting to sit up and take notice of fairy tales, for instance, that's where we kind of get those ideals from. And usually they start to form in early adulthood as to what what we like to find in a partner. I know for me, it was someone who is mysterious, who's a little bit of a bad boy, kind of the, the Heathcliff complex. And that was in my earlier years. I have obviously refined my expectations over the years, but, uh, you know, still it's, uh, who, who on, who on earth is like Heathcliff these days or who on earth is like Dracula or who on earth is like, you know, nowadays it's Mr. Darcy, um, for me or Mr. Knightley and who on earth is like Mr. Knightley. And I mean, that's almost, um, the equivalent of somebody expecting me to, act and look like Emma Frost from the X-Men. It's, it's, an, it's a very unrealistic expectation as well. But that's kind of where idealisms tend to come from and stem, and stem from. So when I looked at the definition of idealism, the very first thing that came to mind for me was Neptune. Big time Neptune. Even when I was being idealized by the coworker, I remember just thinking, yeah, you might want to investigate Neptune, you know, in some way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, at that time, I didn't really know how, but um, again, it's it's very much Neptune. Why Neptune? So Neptune, even though Neptune's energy is very elusive, and I can actually recount this from my studies of last year. So last year, I tried to uh, study up on the generational planets because they were very nebulous for me. And I came across Joy Marchaud's book, The Uranus-Neptune Influence. And even she had mentioned, it's like, the more that we try to understand Neptune, especially, the more that we feel like we're diving more underwater and we're trying to see things from an underwater image which is usually very blurry and space depth perception is not really well contained. I also feel like when it comes to Neptune, it's like you're deep in a forest and you're surrounded by a lot of fog and you don't know how you can get out of that fog. You don't have breadcrumbs in getting out of that forest or getting out of the fog and you don't have a road that guides you out of there. And it just seems like it just grows thicker and thicker the more you advance. So while it is very, it is very common for Neptune to be very nebulous and its energy to be very kind of foggy and confusing. Those are usually, it's kind of agreed by all astrologers, those are usually its downward aspects. While it is a planet that rules compassion, it is also a planet that rules dreams and fantasies particularly. I actually think that Jewel, uh, who is the host of Truth and Aspect Astrology, really nailed it on the head when she said, actually Hollywood is ruled by Neptune. Because with Hollywood, again, we see 
these ideals that play out within a movie and also these ideals that play out with actors and actresses. We think that certain actors and actresses have it all, you know, they're beautiful, their life is perfect, they have it all, and really, we don't really account for what's beneath the surface. And like I said, I felt like that was just a perfect analogy for Neptune because that's also Neptune energy and Neptunian relationships. We are seeing what is ideal and what seems to be ideal and not really taking a look at the surface or not taking a look below the surface at that. So with Neptune and idealism, I feel like it's responsible in the regard that it's kind of like with... um, Marianne and Mr. Willoughby in Sense and Sensibility, it really turns into a notion of we're just expecting, we just kind of dream and dream and dream and dream and expect our dream lover to come to us as opposed to being more active and looking for the, uh, a, an individual that comes close to our dream lover. Now, say, now note that I mentioned coming close. We, we don't, we're not going to nail our idealisms completely. But with Mary Ann and Mr. Willoughby, I just, I found this to be perfect as a Neptune sort of relationship where, you know, she's spouting off all her ideals throughout the beginning of the novel and also throughout the beginning of the movie, you know, and then suddenly in the novel, suddenly just out of nowhere, Mr. Willoughby shows up especially after she's running in the rain, she trips, she sprains her ankle and suddenly he shows up and tests her ankle, sweeps her off her feet and takes her back to the cottage. The movie version I thought was perfect in really emphasizing the Neptunian aspect of their relationship just even more because he literally, I think it was brilliant on Emma Thompson's part, mists are starting to build from the rain And here he is, he's advancing on a black horse from the mists, waiting to sweep Marianne off her feet. But uh, as I've mentioned, that's definitely a great example of Neptune and idealism in the regard that Mr. Willoughby, and with Marianne, I mean, she just, she dreams and dreams and dreams and suddenly her dream lover is there. Unfortunately, the unhealthy aspect of that relationship was here's Marianne putting all these ideals that she has about men and romantic virtues onto Mr. Willoughby. And I think the equally unhealthy part of that relationship was Mr. Willoughby was willing to play along. I kind of felt like this was a Neptune on Neptune sort of relationship where, you know, he's willing to play along, so he's willing to shuck away his own individuality and personality and just mirror whatever a woman in front of him wants of him. And it just it makes him very empty, very shallow, very hollow as a character. And there's really not much to him, unfortunately. And also, unfortunately, with Marianne, it leads to a lot of heartbreak. But I say why Neptune because, again, with those that dreaminess and that fogginess, you know, kind of like where we just kind of get lost in our idealisms and our fantasies, that really is Neptune in full right there. The other take that I had was Jupiter. And why Jupiter? Well, as mentioned in last week's episode on Jupiter, 
if you guys have not caught that uh, um, episode, definitely do. And definitely um, give me some notes as to what you think. But I had mentioned that Jupiter has this interesting aspect of being idealistic as well. And the why of that? Jupiter rules expansiveness and a willingness to also focus more on your partner. So the, with the expansiveness, you're learning to look beyond just your own self-perceived notions about your partner and willing to just give that partner a chance, which is definitely um, a growth aspect in the regard that, you know, we're moving, we're kind of evolving within the relationship. And, you know, in considering the other person, we are also trying to change ourselves to meet the person's ideal as well as our own ideals of ourselves. So, again, that's another advancement and form of evolutionary growth in the relationship. The unfortunate thing is, is that with the expansiveness and the willingness to focus on the partner, that can lead to deception, just like in the case of Neptune. And it can lead to idealisms, even though it's a more active form of idealism in the regard of, hey, um, I feel like I need to meet this partner's ideals. What can I change about myself? And it's more active in the regard of let me try to see all aspects of this person. Again, in that expansiveness, we don't see the little minutiae that makes up that individual. So we can easily be deceived by that person. Also, in just being there for the partner, we could easily have somebody who is not equally reciprocal on that note. And that's where I feel like that's where the, uh, that's where the idealism comes into play is where, you know, you kind of step into danger a little bit. I feel like both Neptune and Jupiter kind of share this sort of influence, um, you know, just being kind of blind a little bit, even though very different forms of blindness um, like I said, one's more active, one's more passive. Again, it's really being blind to your partner and not only who they are, but also who they could be. You know, for all that you know, you could be placing your expansive worldview onto a psycho killer and they could be leading you astray towards your next death trap. I mean, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully not ever, but I mean, just kind of, it, it's just kind of a vantage point when we come down to idealism. So these were my kind of takes and my takes also kind of came off of a particular um, natal chart of someone very personal in my family. But before I get to his natal chart and kind of explain some things as to how, like how this comes into action... I did also take a look at Truth and Aspect Astrology by Jewel. I actually love Jewel's channel in the regard that she is she is an active sinistry astrologer, kind of like with me. She no, she kind of gives a lot of what she notices in a lot of sinistry charts. I kind of give a lot of what I tend to notice just as an astrology nerd and what I have noticed in both natal as well as uh, sinistry charts or sinistry patterns. But with what she, with her observations, I tend to learn a tremendous amount from her, especially with sinistry astrology. And her 
Neptune relationship episode was definitely no different. Um, and again, it's off of YouTube if ever you guys want to check that out. But she usually mentions that idealism comes about when Neptune is in hard aspects or conjunctions with someone else's inner planets. So I'll take, for example, the coworker in question. So the coworker who was actively flirting with me and actively putting ideals and his particular ideals were, um, I could just tell that he was looking for a woman who really is part of the community, who does a lot of community service, who does a lot of community work. And that has not been me for quite some while. I, I'm going to be truthful and very honest. I haven't volunteered in over, oh goodness, I think the last time I volunteered was like 2015. So I am definitely not a woman of the community when I did volunteer was for learning allies. So I don't know how much of an impact I really did make when I did volunteer. Um, I am definitely not a part of like a soup kitchen. I haven't constructed any or saved any buildings for really big purposes as of recently. So I really kind of felt like this was a huge ideal that was placed onto me. And that was so not true. And I, I really could not sit with it because it was something I could not let it let lie. And this came from, you know, uh, that I worked at Denver elections and helped voters to vote. And he automatically jumped to that conclusion that I'm a woman of the community. I, I'm sorry, but I don't see how the two correlate myself. But uh, in the case of this particular coworker, it was very apparent to me that his Neptune placement was probably outside one of my inner planets. So that would be Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, or Net, or um, or Mars. I'm probably thinking because he was a little bit younger than I am. And I know that my Neptune placement, just as generationally wise, it's outside of... Sagittarius, maybe one of my planets around Sagittarius could have been hit, but this was definitely an inner planet Neptune sort of situation. Um, I did not like, I didn't want to just go ahead and foster, um, which is usually, according to Jewel, what usually happens when Neptune is either in a hard aspect or in conjunction with a certain inner planet. I did not feel comfortable in perpetuating the ideal. I was pretty fast to kind of counter the ideal. He was pretty quick, though, to kind of keep it going. So um, possibly, I mean, maybe his Neptune influence was squared my Venus influence because I, or my Venus placement, because I'm all about being, you know, I was all about trying to be honest and trying to be fair and nice about everything. I'm not really so sure I, I need to take a look at that chart here soon. I, I didn't really get to it this week, but I think I will keep you updated as to what I find in the next weeks. Actually, probably next week is what I what I will do with that one. But, you know, usually it's Neptune is in hard aspect or in conjunction with one of these inner planets. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that tends to happen is the person who's Neptune who has, the person who's the Neptune person, I should say, usually is the one who slaps on the ideals. 
it's the person who has the inner planet. So like say Neptune's in conjunction with the sun, it's that, you know, it's that person who's usually in control of that relationship. If you want to look at it that way, they're the ones who are not um, idealistic, so to speak, but seeing sometimes when seeing this idealism, especially when it's outside somebody's sun, they might give themselves an ego boost by perpetuating the ideal. So they might come up to this person and say, you know, it'd be really so much better if you lost weight, or it'd be so much better if you became blonde instead of being a brunette. It'd be so much better if change, change the appearance or change your, your ways or change your personality. And that's where I feel this Neptune relationship and also this sense of idealism could lead astray with a moon or with the moon um, sort of aspect. It's definitely emotional codependency on Venus. Um, while the Venus person might try to dispel some of these idealisms, it's still a codependency on the relationship. I think the Neptune person starts to become codependent on having a relationship, period, no matter what. You know, it's like having a relationship at all costs. That's what makes the Neptune person feel complete. With Mars, it's obviously a sexual codependency. And as mentioned, I kept mentioning codependency. That's kind of the second issue when it comes to a Neptune relationship, according to Jewel, that issues of dependency come into play with the Neptune person. You know, they feel they have to change. They feel like they have to meet the ideals as much as possible. She also mentions it starts off with infatuation and then it's just, it's like, it's so irresistible. The relationship is flying high, kind of like what we see with Marianne and Mr. Willoughby starts off flying really high. It's really awesome. It's really wonderful. Everybody around them can kind of see, like Eleanor can kind of see Marianne where she's kind of falling into a trap. Obviously, Colonel Brandon sees where she's falling into a trap. Uh, her mother is, you know, happy for her daughter, but by the same token, kind of cautioning her of moving a little too fast. But normally it's a, a situation where the infatuation is irresistible. The relationship's flying high and that person is just not listening, especially the Neptune person is just not listening to what anyone has to say. And Jewel even also mentions, it's not just the Neptune person. Sometimes the inner planet person just doesn't want to listen to what anyone has to say because it's just a, such a great relationship. It's hard to resist. And that I feel is also ideal, you know, that's where idealism's kind of the infatuation, it's hard to resist. That's where I feel like idealisms kind of have a breeding ground to grow. And especially a, a truly too idealistic sort of relationships, that's where their their fertilizer starts is with that deep infatuation, irresistible allure. But what ends up happening is that it gets disappointing. And I think the biggest reason why it's disappointing and I think Jewel mentioned such a great aspect with Neptune is that, you know, the Neptune person is being very selfish in the regard that they're just slapping on fantasies onto the other person. And I feel that also when it comes to the person who has the inner planet, again, we've mentioned one of two things can happen that the person just plays along or they try to spell a lot of the myths that's perpetuated by the Neptune person. Um, either way, the person with the inner planet, as I had mentioned earlier from my own experience, 
they either don't feel very heard and they don't feel like they're accepted as they are, or it just, the relationship just gets really bland because they're being worshipped all the time. Now, unless you're so, you're an individual who loves to be worshipped all the time, and I think even individuals who love to be worshipped all the time find a, a place where it gets old, it gets boring, it gets stale, and it's really not so great to be the higher person up in a relationship. I know whenever I've been put on a pedestal, and like I said, Camp Christmas was not the first time. I um, felt that I think I had a relationship within my um, mid twenties where I was placed on a pedestal. It just felt very lonely, even though I was in a relationship and very, yeah, I, I think lonely, I think is the best aspect because I was just solitarily on my own. And I think I remember just thinking to myself, it's like, why, why stay in a relationship if I'm all alone and if I don't feel like my partner is not really with the relationship as well. And I feel like that can also result as well. So when it comes down to idealisms, as I'd mentioned earlier, some of my research, so aside from Jewel, some of my research just came from looking at a chart. And um, this is kind of personal for me. Because um, my cousin, it's my cousin's chart, Jeremy. And it's kind of personal for me because um, with Jeremy, I've seen so many instances where he idealizes the partner that he comes home with that it really has, you know, I, I used to be like a best friend to him when I was a child. We used to be like best friends when we were children, which is kind of interesting and weird at the same time. But, you know, that relationship kind of, kind of, you know, became very distant after so long. It became distant when I was about 17. But, you know, I still can't help but worry about my cousin because there are times where I just feel like he gets so muddled up in both the Jupiterian and the Neptune traps that it, it really makes me wonder, like, who he's dating and if anything's going to happen to him. So in, in kind of resolving some things that have been a question, big question mark with my cousin, I'm just going to go ahead and dive into his chart as an example chart for this week, but also kind of helping to shed some more light on idealisms. So with Jeremy's chart, I know I was um, basically noticing both his Neptune and Jupiter relationships in his chart. Unfortunately, I don't know his current fiance's natal chart either. I couldn't assess it sinistry-wise, but I could determine a lot just seeing his own chart, unfortunately. So with Neptune, we have two situations which were kind of interesting. Actually, three situations, sorry. One situation was that Neptune is Quincunx Venus, so again, with quincunxes, they're very much like oppositions, except not really quite. They're considered to be a minor adversive aspect. But usually the individual tends to veer or lean towards one bit of energy or the other bit of energy. In this case, with Jeremy, his Neptune is within Capricorn and his Venus is within uh, Gemini. 
So again, not a complete opposition because we, you know opposition would be Capricorn and Cancer. So it's kind of like somewhat there, but not really there. But with uh, Gemini, he's definitely a social bee. He was definitely a very social bee when he was a very young child and when Venus was definitely developing in his chart. But there are times where I, I could also just see when he was a young child where he would also veer off towards the very ideal, idealistic side that was part of Capricorn. And sometimes it would lean towards, yeah, I'd like to be a banker when I grow up. Or, yeah, I'd like to be someone who is practical and who can make a big, you know, big life uh, when I grow up. And, you know, really kind of striving towards high ideals, um, as what, you know, what Capricorn would strive for. But again, they were definitely ideals. He wasn't really thinking of what the steps were to become the banker or that what the steps were to become the CEO of a company were. Well, the only fix with a quincunx is to um, kind of see where the two discordant energies meet, and that would be within knowledge and I would say knowledge because here's why. Whereas Cathay Astrology would state that Neptune Quincunx Venus is attracted to inaccurate perceptions of others. I saw it as he's really not seeing loving relationships very clearly when it's in its adversive, most adversive state. And he tends to have a dreamy conception of lovers as opposed to the truthful representation. What I added myself and what I could just see easily spellbound. And I feel like that's definitely Neptune in and of itself, too, just easily spellbound by the idealisms. But I just, I've always remembered, like, with this Neptune, Quincunx, Venus, I mean, with Jeremy, there were t there are just times where, especially with his current uh, fiancé, when he first met her, it's like, oh, yeah, she hunts her father's off the grid. She's so strong. She knows how to wield a gun. She's so awesome. She knows how to wield a crossbow. She's so great. She's so sexy. She's so wonderful because of fill in the blank. And, you know, again, it was I almost kind of wondered like what sort of I almost kind of wondered if his fiance did actually cast a love spell on my cousin and ensnared him that way. Sometimes I still wonder because I just didn't really see a lot of greatness coming from her. And this just could be because I'm a protective cousin and I'm a protective family member. I, I want whatever's best for, for the members of my family. But, uh, yeah, I could just see this easily spellbound because everything that she, I mean, she could just like walk on the ground and it's like she's walking on air or she's walking on water. It's like everything is just honky dory and just beautiful about her. The other interesting that I noticed was that Jupiter is also opposition his son, which also has a conjunction with Mars. So sun conjunct Mars is definitely one person to be reckoned with and a very powerful person at that, which my cousin can be when he is very motivated intrinsically. But, you know, just the Jupiter opposition, the sun, I just felt like with Jupiter, again, it's, you know, we're trying to meet what we want, what our partner wants from us. And I feel like that's Jeremy in a nutshell. Sometimes I just feel like he has extra pressure to be the perfect lover or to be ideal. 
um, in, in any way possible, kind of neglecting the self. And in Astro King, excesses in pleasure seeking. And I think sometimes the excesses in pleasure seeking can cause the the extra pressure in being that perfect lover. By the way, stargazers, I am so sorry. It seems like there's a lot of background noise. Um, I will just try to um, dodge it as much as I possibly can, but it just seems like there's a lot going on today. So with Jupiter opposition, the sun, the way that I see this extra pressure to be the perfect lover is when it has come down to my cousin, I feel like when he was a young child, he was always idealized by his mother. And, you know, it, it mainly because he was such a sweet young man. I, I think uh, he was idealized by his mother and his grandmother a lot, that he kind of felt that pressure to be that good son or that good grandson as well, too. And, you know, I also just feel like that kind of bled into his relationships. I remembered when um, he was... Oh, God, when I was in my late 20s, like mid to late 20s, and he was dating uh, someone else, I remembered that she was very squeaky clean and very well presented and very well groomed and kept together. And I just remembered he started to the very same things, kind of like with Jupiter, you know, wanting to be that ideal lover. I just felt like he started to mirror her a lot. So, Whereas she was very clean and neat in dress, he started to become clean and neat in dress himself. He started to wear dress shirts for the very first time outside of formal gatherings. He started to wear dress slacks outside of formal gatherings. He started to get his hair cut pretty frequently. He started to, you know, really pay particular attention to how it was styled and really just like how, how neat and clean he could come across. With his current fiance, I feel like he kind of mirrors her as well. And again, that Jupiter trying to be, you know, trying to fit what the other person wants of you. I feel like he kind of mirrors his fiance right now in just the opposite way. Um, his fiance is like so proud to be off the grid, to know guns, to know crossbows, to be like really wild in every sense of the word possible. And so here's Jeremy. He looks like his, what his fiance's ideals are, which is wild. Um, he hasn't, I mean, since 2016, when he started dating this, this, uh, young lady, um, he started off with shoulder length hair. Now his hair is like halfway down his back and slicked back into a ponytail. His hair is not always washed. His beard is unkempt. It hasn't been trimmed for quite some time. I mean, he looks like he's been living off the grid since 2016. And uh, it's just, it's amazing to me, like, especially with this Jupiter aspect, like how he's just trying to, it's like the, his appearance changes as he's more and more there and expansively minded towards either his girlfriend at the moment or his fiance as well too. And I just, I found that to be very weird and yet kind of um, just interesting, but weird. I, I'm not, I'm not going to candy coat it. Weird. Very weird. Uh, Jupiter trine Venus. Now, while this is a great aspect, it's usually very abundant in love and affection, but I feel like idealistic and giving everyone a chance in love and affection 
you know, again, that expansiveness with Jupiter. And I feel like just with that expansiveness, it could also, along with the um, Neptune quincunx Venus, it could just lead to deception. And then the last is Neptune trine Mercury, which again, trines, trines, sextiles are usually great aspects. But with Neptune involved, I usually see with Mercury, you know, while there's a lot of great keen intuition, still concepts and thoughts can be a little fuzzy. And again, possible idealized thinking of partner and not really, again, not really scratching and seeing the truth, just seeing the ideal. So as much as I've been quite kind of concerned about my cousin, especially with his current fiance, one thing that Jewel imparted that I really feel kind of helps right now with idealism is, you know, with idealized thinking, no one's going to listen to anybody else. No one's going to involve no one in the relationship is going to involve anybody else. And this is definitely what I'm seeing with my cousin right now. And definitely what I have seen in the past when I've been idealized, when I've idealized people. But again, it's, you know, don't tell this person that they're in the wrong relationship. Don't tell this person what they don't want to hear. Just kind of be supportive of them. And just said, and her uh, reaction was, trust me, this Neptune sort of relationship will wear off. And I feel the same way with just idealism with both Neptune and Jupiter involved, you know, with a equal Neptune and Jupiter involvement. This too will wear off. Um, something, something's going to happen to where it'll wear off and to where that relationship either is broken or the relationship kind of becomes a little more grounded and a little bit more focused on seeing the minutia, the details. Maybe that's where like Saturn could get involved when seeing, like I said, the details, the minutia, and everything that kind of makes up the relationship as well. So stargazers, I hope that all the information presented thus far on idealism really helps out tremendously. I know one of my key takeaways was I really am now my my whole notions of Hollywood have now been changed for the better, which is great. Um, so thank you to Jewel in Truth and Aspect Astrology. I really appreciate your keen insights on that one. Um, you know, with Hollywood being ruled by Neptune, and I will keep that in mind the next time I want to idealize a particular actress and want to be a particular actress as opposed to myself. But I think some of the things, what, ha- what we have learned and what we can take away from. So my first point is also from Jewel, but I, I highly agree with it. So where with Jupiter, I always had mentioned, you know, pull back and make sure that whatever sort of aspects or whatever sort of things that you're kind of facing with when it comes to Jupiter, make sure that you're learning from it as well. Same thing here with both Neptune and Jupiter. When you feel yourself, and I mean, we all get into this again. We all have a Neptune placement. We all have a Jupiter placement. We all idealize somebody in one shape or form or another. When we're feeling like we're in the crux of idealizing. And I can attest to this last year when I had a crush on an actor where I just, again, felt very attracted to him and just felt like, you know, again, that he was, he wasn't imperfect in any way, shape or form. Pull back, 
pull back, especially, you know, especially you're, you're getting into the crux of it, pull back and really force yourself to see the, I mean, like while you're prone to seeing the good parts of this person and what's so virtuous and ideal, force yourself to see some of the bad parts of this person. Get a realistic image of this person. And you know, it's not going to icebreaker the situation, or even if it should icebreaker the relationship or the situation, you know, it's really, that would really be a good thing because at least you're seeing something that's honest that you would otherwise miss if you just idealize this person. I really could have used this advice last year when I was having a big time heavy crush on Mr. BB, even though he's an actor, he doesn't really know me. Um, Still, I mean, I just remember just idealizing him in every situation. And if I gave myself more time, just pull back and actually see that, no, he was not really ideal in every way, shape and form. You know, he was not, a, you know, he's not always a responsible dad and he wasn't always a responsible family man. Um, that really could have helped me to make a better conclusion as to whether or not to still, you know, admire this guy as opposed to blindly admire this guy, so to speak. I also say pull back, especially if you're part of an idealized relationship, like say that you are the Neptune person and you're starting to feel a little bled out because that's also another drawback to the Neptune relationship as well. Um, Again, pull back, see the truth and maybe stop giving so much of yourself. I would also say if you are idealized, my, you know, like I had been at Camp Christmas, I would in, encourage you, if you kind of feel like as I do, where it's kind of weird, it's kind of creepy, I would just say try to embody some wholesome values in the relationship. And maybe, um, you know, some of those wholesome values could be like, how about taking a look at, you know, like maybe fostering truth in the relationship, like kind of maybe inspiring the Neptune person to look for truth. Or maybe inspiring the Neptune person to kind of tell the truth or inspiring the Neptune person to really live by their, by their truth, live as to who they are, um, live as to who they find, what they find to be truthful. And also really, I would say if you are idealized, you could also encourage your partner to look at the real you, you know, step back and look at what's not so idealized, what's not so perfect and golden. And really try to teach that person to look at the truth of you and try to accept the truth of you, if that's at all possible. I think also when it comes to Neptune relationships, because you end up feeling bled out, you end up feeling used, you end up feeling like you have to change yourself all the time. Again, that pulling back would help, but I feel like before you make a change to yourself in order to embody this person's ideals, just kind of halt for a minute and maybe find, like say if you're the Neptune person in the relationship, you're idealizing yourself. If you feel like you have to change yourself in any way, shape or form, halt and actually ask yourself some pertinent questions. And really this is part of pulling back to me. 
you know, ask yourself if making that change to like, say your parents or making that change to your, your personality will actually cause you to grow. And don't just answer as you would like your partner with what you want your partner to hear. Answer these questions honestly and no BSing to yourself. Ask yourself, you know, will I grow if I change my hair from brunette to blonde? Will I see another aspect in life if I do that? If I change from being my usual homebody self to being a more adventurous person, will I grow as a human being? And if you don't know the answers to those things, I mean, you could definitely try to be more adventurous. I don't think that you'll come to any great conclusions from that. Um, but, you know, try to get down to the nitty gritty to see whether or not that is good for you. You know, try to, you know, it's like if you're going to try to make a change, make sure that that change is, is good for you and that it, it remains good for you. And if it doesn't, if it's not good for you, like last year for me, just changing my hair to blonde, well, it was nice. It was nice to get the attention from the opposite of sex. And uh, it was nice to look rather baby-faced and youthful for a while because uh, blonde tends to do that. But, uh, you know, there wasn't really much that I could grow from from that situation. It was just a temporary, you know, it was a temporary appearance change. So uh, I would just say definitely as much as you possibly can, when you find yourself either being idealized or idealizing, try to embody as much of the truth and try to see as much of the truth as you possibly can when it comes to that relationship. And, you know, if there are some truths that are not so great, well, feel free to move on and feel free to move forward. Uh, I think it's better to know earlier rather than too late. As I am really concerned with my cousin, um, I just feel like there's so much deception that's already like in his chart that it makes me worried. Like, is his fiance going to like crush his heart brutally? And is he going to be left without a sense of purpose in life or is he going to be okay? And, um, you know, you can't help but wonder when somebody is idealizing heavily in a relationship. Above all, too, when we idealize, just always remember we're all prone to it. It's very natural, but it's the level of idealizing that can become kind of concerning. And when it becomes that concerning amount to where you're, you're feeling blood out, you're trying to change, you're trying to adapt to your partner as much as possible, that's where you need to pull back and assess things a little bit better. Well, Stargazers, again, I know this was a lot of information. Um, I know we're into an hour and three minutes already. Oh, my goodness. So I hope this, I know this is a lot of information, but I hope that this was a an interesting episode as well as a very informative episode for you. Again, check me out on Patreon if you are there. And if you are so inclined, I would really love it if you do. But otherwise, if you also have questions or comments, you can definitely reach me at Sandra, you know, so it's at Sandra.Misek, M-I-S-E-K on Instagram. Or you can also reach me at Misek.Sandra at gmail.com. And again, that's spelled M-I-S-E-K. Until, uh, until next week, Stargazers, 
feel free to look up at the stars. I believe I believe Jupiter's left the sky at this point, but we are coming up to a nice full moon. I think that's as of Monday is the calendar date for that. So definitely check that out. But above all, just don't don't be afraid to look up at, at the stars and um, take a look at our origins, especially with astrology. And until this time and next week, Stargazers, be well. And until then.